popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. So, good afternoon. First of all, I'd like to say what a pleasure it is to be here um, at this event. I've, I've heard about it. I've not managed to come before, so it's lovely. To, no, my first one. So it's lovely, lovely to see it in, in reality. Um, and also, a, a big thanks to Consali for inviting us here and to Phil and his team for putting the event together. I, I know how much work it takes to put these things together, so huge congratulations and thank you for your commitment to doing this, for this uh, discussing and debating and learning more about the sales profession is so critical because there's a theme that Louise and I are going to be visiting is how poorly it is visited often in, in education. Um, so my name is Patrick Joy and I'm the MD at the Institute of Sales Professionals. You'll be relieved to know that I'm not going to launch into a sales pitch for the Institute and why you all ought to be members and encouraging your team to become members, but I will be outside after the event if you want to have that conversation. Um, what we are going to be talking about instead is, is looking at the current state of play in terms of where we are with apprenticeships today, the journey that's brought us here, what the current state of play, setting the context and motivations around there, where we are with sales notice, uh, sales apprenticeships, and really just some of the trends that we're noticing um, out in the marketplace, things that are happening for sales professionals, particularly young sales professionals entering the profession, uh, and some little views on what we'll need to do next. I think um, it's all very well to look at Middlesex University and Consalia and the Institute and say this is our job to promote the profession of selling. Actually, it's all of our responsibilities. Everybody in this room has a part to play in putting sales where it needs to be in the public consciousness uh, and in the consciousness of our, our, uh, our employers in this country and in supporting the professional development of salespeople. As Phil absolutely rightly said, it is central to the success of our businesses um, now more so probably than at any other time in recent history. So it's a shared responsibility and we're very proud to be sort of figureheads in that but we can't do it on our own. It's part, a part to play for everybody in the room. Yep. So what we are seeing, and we talk a lot to our corporate members about the current state of play in sales. What we know is that there is a shortfall in sales talent. Um, recent research showed that there are currently around 50,000 sales vacancies unfilled in the UK. And all the employers we talk to are crying out to find good salespeople to come and work for them. 
And what they're finding they're having to do is pay over the odds for maybe not quite such good salespeople. Um, uh, and that's definitely having an impact on, on the levels of success. The skills fade is a, is a well-recognized factor. It happens anyway. All of us over time forget the things that we know. We develop bad habits. But over the last couple of years, with the increase in, in homeworking and hybrid working, what we have lost in our organizations is that informal learning that goes on around, around the office. The, the sidebar conversations, the overhearing things, that incidental learning, we've lost that. And with so many salespeople working in splendid isolation, there is nobody to tell them when they start developing bad habits. So that, sk that skills fade is, is accelerating at a frightening rate. Um, I, I, I used to do a lot of sales training, and towards the end of the time when I was, that's all I was doing, I was going in to work with companies, and we were building something as advanced sales skills for senior sales professionals. What we were delivering was fundamental selling skills because people had just got out of the habit of doing things right. So that ongoing learning is so important in the sales world. Um, and one of the challenges is that it's not a career of choice at the moment for school leavers. Uh, I'd almost actually put the, the next three bullet points in reverse order. Sales is inadequately represented in business education at both secondary and tertiary level. Even when people are going in to do a business studies A level or a business studies degree, very rarely do you see even a module on sales. They look at all the other business functions, but not sales, which is madness because almost all of those graduates are going to spend at least some time in sales when they graduate, if it's not going to be even going to be their career. The negative reputational legacy that, that sales has, and this is the last time I'm going to talk about it because we need to change the narrative around that, but because they don't hear about it in school, because it's not positioned as a profession, their only exposure to sales are those ridiculously stereotyped tropes we see in the media, we see in, in comedy shows on the TV uh, about the negative impression of selling. Um, nobody is actually communicating the centrality that sales has to play in, in commerce. Um, and uh, the, uh, yeah, the fact that it's not uh, represented. In fact, I had a, a, a scary conversation with a young person. Most of us in sales, if we're really truly honest, we use the expression, we fell into sales. Yeah, Nobody, very few of us set out with that as our ambition in life. Um, I was talking to a young web developer, actually an app developer, um, about the developing the ISP app. And, and she told me that amongst her friends, they were all consciously avoiding falling into sales. They actually have an aversion to it um, because of so many of the things that we've just talked about. And that's the responsibility of all of us to change that impression. And then when it comes into the workplace and we're developing our sales professionals, well, one of the challenges is how fragmented the sales training sector is. There are a few fabulous organizations and businesses such as Consalia who do a fantastic job in training salespeople, they are also thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals, um, a bit like I used to be as a self-employed sales trainer, going around doing sales training. And I think I did a great job. I like to think I did a great job, and I'm sure they all do, but it is so fragmented that to get any kind of consistency or comparability across the piece is really difficult, let alone to be able to begin to measure with things, ridiculous notions like return on investment uh, on sales training. And I think that that's, that's a real challenge for the sales training marketplace and a real challenge for employers to be able to demonstrate the importance and the value to the organization of actually investing in developing their salespeople. And I think that um, comparability and transferability of 
training and the awards that people get from it is so important. When we look at the, the Gen Z salespeople entering the, entering the workplace right now, the research is telling us if they're entering the workplace age 19, by the time they're 40, they will have had 14 different jobs. So if we're not giving them something during their average 18 months tenure with us that gives, us, gives them some value to take on with them, then what are we doing to develop the profession? And equally, by the way, we need to be able to see the return on the investment for our businesses with the 18 months they're with us. I think employment is rapidly becoming sort of serial monogamy uh, with the other people. We have them for a short time. We've got to make sure we're getting value from them. Uh, and the onus, therefore, is on employers, but also training providers and professional bodies to make sure that training delivers, delivers value. Because, as we all know, when times get tough, and I have a funny feeling that times might just be about to get a little bit tough, um, after, uh, actually, probably even before marketing, the sales training budget is the first one to get cut, which, of course, is completely counterintuitive because when it gets harder to sell, what we need is more highly skilled salespeople. But because they can't measure the return on the investment, they don't understand it, it's really easy to take it out of the budget. And this is the role that the sales apprenticeships have to play. And Louise, as Phil rightly said, is the expert on all things sales apprenticeships. So I'm going to ask you to say a few words here, Louise. Okay, thank you. And hello, everybody. Um, yeah, so what we've listed here um, are the full suite of apprenticeships, sales apprenticeships that operate in the B2B sales sector. And the first thing that I'd like you to notice is that they stretch from level three all the way to level seven. So we are immediately offering a career path in sales through the apprenticeships, which I think is fantastic. So the two that we have at level three are in technical sales, IT technical sales, and that bid and proposal coordinator. But I know we've had people come onto our level six program from the level three IT technical sales, and they've graduated already. So these, there are some apprentices who've managed to go through two programs since 2016 and start that career path in, in earnest in sales. The ones we're going to focus on today are the higher and degree apprenticeships, and that's really because that's where Patrick or the ISP and Consalia have, um, you know, that, that's our marketplace. So the ISP um, are the Endpoint Assessment Organization. EPAO stands for the Endpoint Assessment Organization. Um, and they're the, they are that for the Level 4 Sales Executive. I was involved in the Trailblazer for the Level 4 Sales Executive, as I think uh, Paul was, I think, for BT, and a few people here. And Consalia and Middlesex University were also involved in the um, Trailblazer group for the level six B2B sales professional. What we have here are the higher apprenticeships and um, the level six and the level seven actually um, come under the title of degree apprenticeships as well. And they deliver the degrees and you can see here BSc professional practice in business to business sales. And then we had an MSc with the, 11, uh, the level seven. The government have actually reduced the funding for that. So it's now been delivering a postgraduate diploma but in professional practice. And they are two really important words. Professional practice indicates what's happening, I think, in all apprenticeship programs. And it's that application of learning into the workplace. It is so important. That's where the skills development happens. That's where the personalization of the learning happens. And sometimes we even get theory coming from, new theory emerging from that practice back. So it's really important and that's, something that um, I think I want all of you to take away in terms of this kind of double loop that happens with professional practice and apprenticeship programs. Um, 
Okay, so oh, I've got to do this, haven't I? So, Patrick, I'm going to pass over to you in terms of the um, talking through the numbers. I think it's important to think that the um, the IT technical sales, you can see the numbers are higher. Um, very first, one of the very first to be approved in 2016. And of course, the service executive has quite a number of training providers, which I think influences the numbers as well. But if I can pass through to you. Yeah, yeah. So just in terms of the numbers, there's for level three in bids and proposals. Um, the numbers that you see there, those are the numbers of learners currently in program and who have also uh, passed through uh, the endpoint assessment process. So the numbers are not huge, but they're growing. Um, it's proposals only 120, 100, uh, just over 1,300 on uh, IT technical sales, nearly 2,000 on the, uh, the level four sales executive. So the numbers are growing. Um, we're seeing employers increasingly, probably for some of the reasons that I discussed earlier, looking to find ways to make themselves more attractive to new, uh, new employees. Um, one of the things that we know about the Gen Z employee is that they're looking for an employer who will give them professional development, who will give them some value to take on further through their career. Um, so to position yourself as the employer who's going to do that puts you very much at the front of, or the top of the list when the, uh, the Gen Zers are looking for a potential employer. So we're definitely seeing an increase in that. And that level four, um, we are able to work with commercial training organizations who um, are uh, approved by the Institute to run the, the, uh, the apprenticeship. Um, we are also able to work within company training departments. So some larger employers are actually going through the process of becoming accredited to run the apprenticeships for themselves. That does have the benefit, of course, that when you're calling your, your training levy back in, your apprenticeship levy, you're actually paying it to yourself. Um, so it's quite a good idea if you've got a, a robust enough system to do that. Um, and also, uh, increasingly, um, in the further education sector, colleges are beginning to look at running some of these courses as well. So that, that's, it's definitely grown. We're also seeing growth, I'm glad to say, in, in the ISP's own qualifications. So we're an off-call regulated awarding body. We offer uh, certificates and diplomas in sales at level three, four, and five. Um, and we're beginning to see employers looking at those as well, which is really encouraging. So that if the apprenticeship, for any reason, isn't the right solution for you right now, there are other options out there as well. I think uh, the important thing is that we are getting our, our young salespeople and more experienced salespeople professional development and professional qualifications. Um, we've had um, a, a little over a thousand uh, learners um, uh, registered to learn at our level four diploma level over the last couple of years. So it's, it's, it's growing well. We're also looking at a, a level two certificate. We're approved by Ofqual to award at level two. Um, and one of the big projects for next year is to talk to our colleagues, particularly in the secondary and FE sector, to talk about how we can build some of those modules into a business studies program that they're offering so that there is at least some placement there of professional sales skills as part of a general business education. Um, and we're also looking at, or not looking at, we are in the process of uh, modularizing, if there is such a word, uh, the content of our programs so that we can actually begin to make awards on short courses that cover quite a, quite a, a narrow band of uh, topics, but those awards over time can build up into a full qualification so that that gives us that transferability of learning. There are obviously some challenges for some employees around the kind of investment, not just the investment of money, but the investment of time involved in supporting that learning. But those who are, are being courageous enough to take that step are definitely seeing the benefits. 
And of course, that opens the gateway through to the higher level um, apprenticeships as well. Thank you, um, Patrick. And yeah, just talking about that career progression, I've mentioned that we've had people come from the level three technical sales onto level six. We're now getting graduates from level four inquiring about coming on the level six. And our very own graduates from um, the B2B sales saying, when can I do the masters? When can I do the PGG? When can I get onto that senior leadership program? So that hunger for learning, which Reiner talked about this morning, is very much embedded in the apprentices as they go through the different um, programs. Okay, so now I have a challenge to talk to you about why the higher sales apprenticeships are working so well. And it's a challenge for me because I really have been um, sort of raging deep through them for a good six years now. And I am absolutely passionate about the benefit of apprenticeships. So I will do a whistle-step tour, but if you want to talk to me about anything, please come and find me after these sessions. I've already talked really about that kind of integration of the work and practitioner experience. But what is so important is that you get that through the on and off the job learning, which is a component of the apprenticeship. And that very much ensures that you know, the learning is gonna be relevant to the sector, to the organization and to the individual. There are elements in here on this left-hand side which do rely on the culture of the organization. If you're gonna take apprentice, apprentices on and run apprenticeships, it is so important that you're prepared to invest in doing that well. Um, and so, you know, that bit about the on and off the job learning, you need to have a good line manager. You need to have a good coach to support the apprentices. But the key thing I think as well is that they're learning by doing without debt. And given the kind of current economic crisis and given the looming recession, this is so important for young people to be able to develop a career without debt. You know, my daughter graduated 18 months ago and her student loan is just increasing monthly at the minute. She's not gonna kind of put a dent in that for such a long time. If you can get a degree and three years work experience without debt, go for it. You know, let's all encourage that. Let's make that happen. It's such an important thing that we can do and it is so important. And that will also help social mobility, which was one of the key drivers for developing the apprenticeship programs from the government in the first place. Um, there's also this whole idea, and I think the next two bullets are really important for me, you know, to develop a learning organization and building corporate capability. I think that's where the magic happens if you have that right employer culture. So what do we mean by learning organization and building corporate capability? So if I quote Peter Senge, he talks about a learning organization as being one where people are continually learning how to learn, continually learning how to learn. And the corporate capability is about extending that learning and extending learning reach. So if you have apprenticeship programs and if you really make the most of the learning that your apprentices are, are getting and bring it into the organization, it's gonna start building what we call this corporate capability and linking it back to the title of today, thriving organizations are learning organizations. People learn from one another and when that happens, there's sparks and that's when there's innovation. And you need innovation in today's world. You know, we talk about as the world becomes more connected and with, you know, the businesses need to become much more agile and able to cope with the unknown. You need to be able to be innovative. You need to be able to be agile. And so you need that learning organization and tapping into the potential of what's coming out from young people who are hungry to learn and to share their learning is so important. 
to develop those learning organisations. Um, I think we've talked about the route to professionalism. You know, we've got level three through to level seven, and some people are now outside of our apprenticeships also starting to the doctorate programmes in sales. And we do need academics in sales, as Patrick said, and we'll cover it later. It's really important to get sales recognised as a profession to have sales present in universities. So that's an important route, and Christine and Kate will talk about that later. But there are challenges, and I'm not going to talk too long on this slide, but, you know, we had a target from the, or the government had a target to get um, 3 million apprentices by 2020 once they launched the new apprenticeships. And at the end of this last academic year, they were just under that. But, you know, there's been COVID, there's been many reasons that have impacted, I think, the recruitment of apprenticeships. The thing that I really want to talk about here is, is this one where we talk about the under-19s only accounted for 22% of new starts in the last academic year. How can that be? How can under-19s only account for such a small number? What is not happening? What are they not aware of? We need to think about that. We need to, as Patrick said, start really to champion sales apprenticeships and to make people aware of them. I think, you know, the productivity level was also something that, you know, we wanted to increase productivity through the development of skills for the future, for this changing world that we're in. Um, and that was also one of the key drivers for developing the apprentices, and we're still not quite there. But what came out of a recent report um, is that, um, which was produced by UVAC, so we have Mandy here from UVAC, and the CMI, is that management apprentices are actually adding to the economy, and that data's there at about £700 million a year. And there's a lot of discourse around apprenticeships. Are they working? Are they not working? Are we making good use of the levy? What else could we do with the levy? But you have to have skills training. You have to make sure that we're having the right skills for the future. And managers also need to be trained. So it is important that we have apprenticeships that operate at that level. So why are the numbers so low? And I said here, why especially for the sales apprenticeships? Because I think there's an extra reason we can talk about apprenticeships in general but there are a couple of things that are very specific to sales apprenticeships. So there is an image problem with apprenticeships. And people don't really know what they are. People don't really know what they contain. And this is a really important thing. We have to start, you know, really shouting out, those of you that are on apprenticeship programs, those of you that have graduated, talk about what you gain from your apprenticeship, not what you gain from the qualification. Don't talk about it as a BSc. Talk about it as an apprenticeship because it's really important we shift this image perception. Careers advice at school is woeful around apprenticeships. You know, you're going to hear probably more from Katie about that, um, but many teachers don't understand them either. And so, therefore, they don't actually encourage school people to think or consider apprenticeships. And that is something that, you know, with the um, portal that Phil mentioned that UCAS are developing. Hopefully there is going to be more awareness happening and we can get more young people to really think about apprenticeships as an option. Then there's the degree and the degree apprenticeship and there's the whole discourse around vocational learning and is it on a parity with, um, with academic degrees? And that needs to shift, that needs to stop. We shouldn't stop comparing them. We shouldn't stop saying what are they equivalent to we should be thinking about them for what they deliver and the outcomes that they produce. 
And so that's another thing that, you know, as we say, this kind of call for action from all of you, talk about what came out of your programs. This is about really kind of employer kind of um, strain that so, so many organizations are saying, they're quite hard to do, they're quite hard to deliver. And they are, and you do need to be, you know, invested in bringing in young people and bringing in that talent. But training providers will work with you. Training providers will make it happen. And the benefits to you in, as an organization, you know, you're getting someone, particularly with sales organizations, who you're training, but they're also bringing in revenue at the same time. You can make it a win-win. And we talk about attracting talent through apprenticeships, no debt, retaining them because you've helped them develop and then you have another path for their career. And the last one, um, I just think is absolutely shocking, to be honest, but the amount of unspent levy um, is, um, was at 3.3 billion um, that was returned to the treasury. That's 3.3 billion pounds that could have been spent on skills development for young people, for people in your organization who want to become managers, and it's not being used. And the other thing is we don't know where that money goes. It just kind of goes back to treasury and there's no transparency and who knows what's happening with it. So we need to make the most of the levy. We really need to be using it. I'm just building on that point about the levy and the benefit back to employers, that there's correlation between employees who are prepared to invest time, effort and energy into their own learning and those who are your top performers is proven and strong. Stephen Covey was saying it years ago when he wrote The Seven Habits, for goodness sake. Um, so it's self-evident. The, the interesting question that I was having this conversation with somebody at lunchtime is whether they are your top performers because they're the kind of people who want to learn or whether the learning makes them your top performers. Frankly, I don't think it matters because if they want to learn and you're providing that, then they're going to stay with you. Uh, and if you're developing them and making them even better, then you're winning. It doesn't really matter which end of the equation you're coming out at. Okay. But the other reasons why the sales apprenticeships are so low, first of all, and I hear myself having to say it again, but that, this residual mindset that people have towards sales. Um, the young Gen Z people coming into the workplace, they're looking for a workplace which gives them flexibility. They're looking for a workplace um, which uh, values social diversity and equality. They're looking for a workplace which is going to offer them development. They're looking for a workplace which is going to listen to them. And for some bizarre reason, they don't equate that to sales. Now, I've been in sales for more years than I can probably count, um, but that's exactly what I experienced all the way through my sales career. It's what all of us experience in sales. Sales is probably the most meritocratic profession you can possibly enter into in the workplace. Uh, and, and there are no uh, very few barriers to who can do what, uh, and everybody thrives on their success. Um, it is one of the most honest professions you can be in, but for some reason, the young people coming into the workplace don't believe it's the right thing for them. <clears throat> and there's a big requirement for all of us to change that narrative um, so that people understand actually that sales is a fabulous profession to come into. And again, we're repeating the point again, but that, that placing and positioning of sales in education at both secondary and tertiary level is just so critical. <laughs> Um, because one of the challenges we have as a profession is that actually our government doesn't understand us. If you look at government talking about business-to-business -business sales, we're lumped in with retail, with customer service, and, and not that there's, there's nothing wrong with those professions, but actually business-to-business -business sales is a hugely different occupation to those professions. 
um, but government doesn't see it. So we, um, unless we bang on about that, unless we are really firm about what we believe business to business sales is, and unless as employers you actually make give a united voice to government about that, it's unlikely to change. The Institute of Sales Professionals will bleat on about it until the cows come home, and that's what the government expects us to do, so they don't listen. But actually, if the employers, the businesses who are driving the economy for them, the businesses who are going to lead us into our recovery from the current state that we're in, are saying to them, you need to be taking our salespeople seriously, then they might just listen. Um, it, it, is, it is a concerted effort from all of us. Very quickly, I always like to bring a model into those presentations that I give here, and many of you will recognise this if you've been on our programmes, as um, Stephen Covey's circle of um, concern and circle of control. For those of you that don't know this, um, we all have a wide, wide range of concerns, and some of them we can do something about, and some of them we just can't. And what happens is that we put in the, so when we start to write them down, we can have this outer circle, which actually we recognize they're the ones we can't influence, we can't do much about. But what we start to think about in terms of, I'm going to just skip through, not talk through those because of time, but you know, obviously they're the big macro issues and concerns that we have. What we can start to influence is what Patrick and I have been alluding to. We can start to educate more people about apprenticeships. We can start to educate more people about how valuable sales is to the economy. And we need to start having that influence with the schools and the universities. And I suppose this is where we really have what is our call for action and call for support from you um, and what you, we think and how we think you can help us with that. So the, uh, the ISP is this, provides secretariat for the APPG, that's the All-Party Parliamentary Group in Sales. Um, it's currently not meeting because I've, I've gathered there's something going on at Westminster at the moment that's just distracting people's attentions from them. Um, but the last meeting of it failed to be court. There were not sufficient MPs present to actually allow the meeting to take place. Um, if employers are saying to their MPs, actually, this is important. We want you to be there. We're going to be there. We were there. Where were you? Then all of a sudden, MPs will start to turn up. So it's there. And on the basis we use it or lose it, it's really important. If you believe that you want to influence government thinking around our profession, that's a direct channel into government. Please support it. We need you to be ambassadors for sales apprenticeships. And in a magnanimous gesture, not just sales apprenticeships, but in sales education. You know, it, it, it's just so important. Um, and to change that narrative about sales, we've got to stop being apologetic. We've got to start just assuming that people recognize sales as a profession. But until we start saying it, people won't begin to hear it. Uh, absolutely got to change the narrative. Okay, and I think I'd, if I just had to sum up with one phrase, I would ask you all to talk about apprenticeships and really make people aware of them and the benefits they can provide. That's great. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you.